0: Uh, hello guys, good evening. welcome again to now the 40th edition of the watercolor conversation yeah? we've got 40 different guests to come to our discord server and and share their stories and experiences. Uh, tonight we have Shayak Mazumdar with us. Uh, Shayak has had a very very versatile journey. He has been a part of the Indian Navy uh, post which he is then he did his MBA and uh, he has been working across you know different places so he was a part of eig express he was also uh, a a part of the alchemist he's he's actually also still a part of uh, the alchemist accelerator Um, and he has uh, you know he is the co-founder and ceo of uh, unimart Uh, for all of you who don't know about unimart it's a vertically integrated e-commerce solution empowering thousands of smes and mid-market customers in emerging markets to seamlessly streamline their operations on a global scale so in case you people are looking for global expansions i think unimart might be the right solution for you but i think we will get to know a little bit more about unimart and how it functions uh, but before that we would uh you know want to, love, want to welcome shayak here and know a little bit about his own journey in the whole uh you know saga
1: of entrepreneurship so welcome Shayak to the builders club
0: hopefully yeah, i mean Uh, Still, I think we're still starting up here. Uh, You know, uh, these clubs, these uh, journeys that we have, these stories are never enough. So every guest is a new one. Every story is different. Uh, So, Shaiya, where exactly and how exactly did you come across the whole idea of Unimort, And what exactly have you been up to?
2: So it was kind of,
0: um, I was already doing something similar at Rocket.
2: Right? Uh, my job at Rocket Internet was to create a global um, e-commerce platform. Um, although I was doing it from uh, a marketplace point of view, but I was working with thousands of SMEs in China, Latin, uh, Africa, South Asia. I established these uh, lines, um, you know, supply chain, shipping, uh, marketing, uh, all these processes. and. As I was doing that, I kind of uh, realized that there was a huge white space between what uh, existed and what were really needed to exist. Um, and, you know, so just to put it in a bit more clearly, Amazon, Alibaba, uh, these are great ecosystems, okay? And similarly, in every geography, every country you'll see, it's kind of dominated by two, at best, three marketplaces, okay? China is dominated by Taobao, Tmall, Pinduoduo. Mm. India is dominated by um, Amazon, Flipkart, um, and then maybe a couple of other smaller platforms. Um, US is dominated by a few platforms like Shopify, Amazon, and a few smaller platforms like Walmart, etc. These platforms tend to provide merchants with um, a, a, essentially a toolkit and an access. Right. So they provide a merchant with an ecosystem of uh, solutions partners um, like marketing, shipping, supply chain, operations partners, but also a complete ecosystem that a merchant can just go and start selling. But what is missing is when that merchant wants to take the step out of that ecosystem and start selling on multiple channels. There is no platform that is solving that uh, particular issue because every second brand that is out there or every second seller, let me call it a merchant, who sells on e-commerce needs a platform to create that same ecosystem that Amazon gives them, but not linked to an Amazon or a Shopify, right? Mm -hmm. So um, imagine you're a brand. What are you really doing? You're essentially doing marketing. You're doing shipping, you're doing operations, which includes orders, inventory, pricing, payment, cataloging, etc. You're doing supply chain, which includes sourcing, warehousing, fulfillment, all that. Now, Amazon gives this to you in a neat little, you know, package. But what you want, when, you, when you're when you stepping outside of Amazon and you're trying to create this across Amazon, Flipkart, Shopify, Lazada, globally, you want the same ecosystem. So Unimart offers you that. And that took me some time to
0: figure
1: out. Hmm, hmm, hmm.
0: so fairly interesting so i think so from what i understand uh, you people help brands to in the supply chain aspect rather the operations and the logistics aspect of the company or and overall uh, you know the brand building and all of these things as well or is it just focused purely on the on the supply chain aspect
2: no we're a platform we don't go on the brand building part of it so we basically you come on a platform You'll get to see 25 e commerce marketplaces like Amazon, eBay, Flipkart, Shopify. We come pre integrated with them, and you can integrate your own marketplaces by yourself as well. Um, And then, what you can do is do your cataloging, orders, inventory, pricing, payments across all these platforms from one place. Now, this is incredibly complex because every marketplace, let's take Amazon as an example, Amazon has 3000 plus last level categories each of these categories have their own catalog format every one of those catalog formats have a certain number of valid values so the permutation on amazon alone goes into billions mm. so that is why you need specialized people with specialized technical knowledge how to sell on amazon it's not easy when you just get started right amazon's trying to make it easy but it's still incredibly complex Mm-hmm. Now imagine multiplying that every time you're adding a new channel of sale. Now you've mm-hmm. got Amazon, you've figured it out, you want to add Flipkart. You'll have to go through the same process again. You'll have mm-hmm. to figure out everything again. And your same team may not be able to handle more than one or two marketplaces. So then you're adding teams, you're adding processes, and you're adding a tremendous amount in costs managing this. Okay. On top of it, you are now Creating your own technology solutions because there's no order management system that works across all these international marketplaces. There's no shipping management system that works across all these international marketplaces. There's no marketing management system that works across all these channels. So how are you going to manage your business across all of them? You're going to hire a technology team who will do that for you. So what ends up happening is you spend crores in managing these channels, hiring teams both operations and technology, creating your own tech solution. So every business out there is reinventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of where Unimart comes into play and says, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, we figured everything out. Does the solution, Mm -hmm. use it, sell wherever you want to sell. Mm
0: -hmm. And, And does it mean, I mean, does it, do I need to be of a certain size to be on your platform? Or I can be you know somebody who's selling T-shirts today here yeah, and then I basically want to send glo- sell globally so I can basically enroll into a Unimart and start selling globally.
2: Well, as of today, we uh, we say that if you're more than one crore in annual revenue, you're good to join. Uh, mm. Because you need to have your catalog fixed. You need to have some sort of a um, some sort of a maturity in terms of product and product market fit. But around that 1-2 crores is where you hit that product maturity. And once you have that, then the rest of it is sorted. We 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 have everything else that you need. So that's why we say that you have to be at least that size.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a few more questions. So guys, while we are speaking, in case you have any questions, you can just use the show's chat to type in your questions. And we will pull you in in the Q&A portion and you can ask the question directly to Shayak. So, you know, the the shows chat is just above the voice channel here of shows. So, you can start typing your questions there. Um, In the meantime, uh, Shayak, I basically wanted to understand your experiences with brands going. So, again, you know, when you're talking about brands going global, um, everybody wants to go global. And usually, you know, there are certain do's and don'ts which, which you need to keep in mind when you're actually doing this so i basically want to understand that if let's say any of the companies here in the builders club who are planning to you know launch global brands what are the few you know pointers that they need to keep in mind can they start i mean does their outlook need need to be country by country or from day one they need to start thinking global are there any best practices or certain things which they need to keep in mind when when they're doing so any pointers uh, around that
2: I can simplify this, but this is this requires years of understanding and it's not going to be answered in a simple answer like this, but I'll try and simplify this. Now, it starts with the product, of course. Mm. You need to be selling a product uh, that will have demand internationally um, or a category that's not necessarily restricted, like um, you can't be selling, say, uh, liquor or um, I don't know. There are so many different categories Mm. that are restricted across uh, international channels. You could be selling cosmetics, but then you would need a license in every country to sell since it's a topical item. You could be selling Ayurvedic products, but then you need a local license in order to be selling there. Because without that, um, the government would not allow you to sell. I mean, you could start off, but the moment it uh, gets to a certain point, you will face those issues. Um, so, the first thing is to understand the product and what the, uh, what are the different uh, criteria, what are the different uh, documents that you need, what are the different licenses that you need. So, it starts with that, then comes something called the channels of sales. Okay, So, uh, you need to identify which channel do you want to sell on and why. Now, you could say that um, I'm interested in selling in Australia. Okay. And that would be a good answer, but then you'd also need to explain why are you interested in selling in Australia and in Australia which channels of sales because there's eBay Australia, there's Amazon Australia, there's um, Iconic Australia. Every one of them is different in terms of uh, the performance, uh, different in terms of the SLAs, in terms of the processes. So having a bare bones understanding of this is absolutely needed. Without that, you'd end up being a little, um, how do I say this? Uh, you lose some money for sure and then figure it out. So it's better to know that before you start. Mm. So these are the two prerequisites. After that, e commerce basically comes in what we call A, E, I, O, and U, the five vowels. The way it works is number one A. A basically means access management. So, how do you get access to these channels of sales? Just because you want to sell there doesn't mean that they will allow you to sell. So, you could go to Lazada and say, "Um, I've got this lovely product and I want to sell on your platform. Is Lazada going to allow you to do that? No, most likely no. Because Lazada has been curating their uh, brands and their customer experience over the last 10-12 years. They don't want a new brand to come in and kind of disrupt that process uh, without them knowing how good the brand is. So are you willing to relocate to Southeast Asia? Localize your business in Southeast Asia? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to have a warehouse in Southeast Asia and put inventory there? That becomes very complex because Mm -hmm. then how many countries can you do? How many countries Mm -hmm. do you have the bandwidth to do that? And do you have a priority in terms of where you want to go and how you want to do? That then becomes the next question for you to answer, right? So it started off with understanding your product, then it went on to the channels of sales or what we call access. Once you got this figured out that, okay, this is the product and this works this way. And these are the channels and this is why I'm going to sell there, And this is my uh, documentation process. This is my permission process. And I'm... I am going to start off internationally or I'm going to localize my product there. Got this answer figured out. Then comes a third question. That is basically what we call the ecosystem question. Mm. At this point, you need to answer who's your shipping partner? Who's Mm. your warehousing partner? Who's your marketing partner? Who's your payments partner? If you are doing it yourself, and many cases, brands tend to do that themselves, right? So, especially when they start off. You still need to answer that question as to how you're going to do it. Now, let's say uh, you decide that, okay, I don't want to go to a Lazada and ask for permission. I'm going to take my Shopify store and I'm going to switch on this particular job. Great. That's actually a very, very good way to do it. You'd still need to figure out the ecosystem because without figuring out how you're going to ship to the end customer or without figuring out how you're going to um, are you going to fulfill your orders you're not going to be able to sell them or how are you going to do your marketing because you see what Lazada gives you is the same ecosystem but if you do it on your own on Shopify you don't have access to that ecosystem so you'll have to figure that out so this ecosystem becomes a third question that you answer so E then comes the insights intelligence I mm. You need to know who's your competition, What mm-hmm. are they doing? What is the right price point? Mm-hmm. How do you optimize your products to sell them? Mm-hmm. Marketing, all of these comes under intelligence. Mm-hmm. Okay. O stands for operations. This is the simplest part. Um, you could just basically go to any existing order management, inventory management system and start off. This isn't difficult. As you scale, of course, your operations is going to become very complex. But to begin with, it won't be very difficult to do. And lastly, U basically stands for uniformity in approach. You cannot have different prices on different channels in the same market. Mm. It ends up killing your brand because there's no brand consistency and marketplaces tend to frown upon it. Mm. So this is the process, right? AELU, Access Mm. Ecosystem Intelligence Operations Unified. Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. Wow, that's a very simplistic way of remembering it shayak thanks a lot for this um uh i basically wanted to stress upon the first point which you, talk, you talked about a little bit more which is how exactly do i know i mean if i enroll to a marketplace currently is there a way i let's say i'm selling xyz let's say i'm selling jewelry let's say i'm selling wine for example now some countries might allow it might allow it some some countries might not is there any way the legality or the documentation aspect is standardized or uh, you know or simplified by these platforms because that's a lot of a head- lot of headache because i myself had tried to do it once and i realized that the paperwork itself is a little bit too uh you know daunting for me when i'm planning to start something like this
2: okay Um, this is one of the problems although it's a small problem but it is a problem uh, that you need to solve there are service partners that do that Um, they could be um, we at Unimart we will uh, provide you with a platform where you'll get to see the documents you'll get to see what is needed to sell in which country and how the process goes and you could do the same thing by googling it Uh, Mm -hmm. each marketplace will have their own uh, seller center on that seller center uh, they will give you uh, they will have their own uh, blogs learning management systems etc that will tell you how to do it so um, essentially the question really is um, you could take a lot of time and figure things out for yourself alternatively you could just go to an existing platform that has done that work and you know find out all the information there so unimat has done kind of the work so, but again, I'm repeating, this is not a very difficult thing to do. It just requires time and effort. You can just go out there and start Googling, reading the blogs, reading the articles and you'll find things. Even Unimart provides a free learning management system where we provide a lot of uh, answers to these questions. Hmm. Hmm,
0: hmm, 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 hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. Uh i have one more question and then guys we'll just open up for for questions uh there, there are two or three questions are already there um shayak i basically want to touch upon the pandemic and how that has transformed the whole logistics and the supply chain uh you know the global uh supply chain ecosystem if i want to sell globally Uh, you know, how exactly did the pandemic affect and how exactly have you seen things change after the pandemic now?
2: It's quite counterintuitive, actually, uh, what has happened. Um, The pandemic has been the best possible thing for supply chain globally Uh, in all possible ways. Right. Uh, First of all, um, you know, you thought that uh, these businesses would be suffering and they would not be getting orders and, uh, you know, supply chain would be disrupted. Yes. Yes. That is true to an extent but what ended up happening is the logistics and supply chain companies minted money during this period because um, sellers didn't know what to do, mm. merchants did not know what to do, everything was disrupted. A Lot of the merchants were, were doing things on their own, they had no option but to end up at the doorsteps of DHL, FedEx and the rest and mm. say, you know what guys, you're the experts, you figure it out mm. and they had solutions, right? They just hiked up their prices two times, three times during this period. Uh, for the same services that they would have been charging, say five five hundred thousand rupees, they are now charging two thousand three thousand rupees. Mm. So uh, not only were they getting more customers, more demand, but they are also able to monetize it more. Right. So it was a great period for these uh, supply chain companies because everybody wanted to digitize their business, everybody wanted to automate their business, and these guys had already figured that bit out, whereas normal merchants did not have those solutions. So they kind of minted money that number one. Number two, a large number of brands, especially those about $50 million in annual revenue, learned the hard lesson uh, that not automating is, is how it badly is it affecting their business? I saw massive, massive companies like, um, you know, uh, Big, Baza- sorry, Big Bazaar, um, then Heritage, uh, Heritage Fresh, etc. Operating out of Excel sheets. Mm. You would not believe it. Massive businesses operating out of Excel sheets. They pass Excel sheets on email for their orders and inventory management. You would not imagine a business that's doing uh, you know, a few hundred crores in annual revenue operating on Excel sheets. They are. And this came up, came as a rude you know, wake up call for all of these guys. That guys, if you're not automated this It's a new world that you're living in and your customers are looking for you online. You need to automate everything. So all of a sudden we had this, you know, this industry that was full of uh, people who were fairly self-absorbed, fairly self-satisfied that, okay, we are good, we don't need to change the processes that we've been using for the last 30, 40 years, taken by the scruff of the neck and said, you know, change now, now as in now, in the next two months, in the next five months, change everything. And change they did, every business tried to, you know, build scrappy solutions using existing things, tried to hire some sort of an agency to build something for themselves. Some of them went to the major players like SAP, Oracle, realized they don't really have great solutions for it. Some of them went on and, you know, figured out some solutions like NetSuite and all, which are great solutions. So I think, like I mentioned in the beginning. What happened during the pandemic was possibly the best possible thing for supply chain globally it one underlined the need to digitize and automate everything and so that you have transparency visibility you have some sort of uh you know resistance against disasters otherwise um, you know you're just you're just basically caught with your pants down um, and uh this the supply chain companies minted money during this period they were fully on uh, you know, they had warehousing space, they had, um, you know, automations in place, they were uh, able to get through the uh, protocols fairly easily, whereas normal businesses had not, no idea how to do it. And that'd be my answer.
0: Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh, okay. opportunity. You know, it was kind of an opportune moment for these guys also, because of, and nobody else had anywhere to go. And they were the guys who were the experts in it.
2: yeah it was i was speaking to i'll not name it but i was speaking to one of the cinemos people in uh, the world's largest logistics company and he basically told me that i don't have space in my warehouse to give anymore and i'm basically hiking up my prices to prevent people from coming to me That's literally what they
0: were doing wow interesting interesting (laughs) cool with that uh, Shayek, we'll just open the floor for questions. I think there are a few that are already in line. Vatsal, you can go in first, yeah? Vatsel, you can just unmute and ask your question.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, shaikh so glad to have you here and be, uh, being a part of this conversation. Uh, just wanted to ask you a couple of things. First, I mean, uh, empirically, uh, are there categories which are easy, perhaps easy to start off, you know, while expanding internationally? Uh, for instance, say fashion or beauty and personal care. Uh, have you seen something like this happening for certain sort of categories where, let's say, a clothing brands comes in and they sort of expand very, very quickly or something like that?
2: Okay, yes, obviously there is. Um, so first of all, uh, it's my pleasure to be here as well. Secondly, um, what you're talking about is um, a multi-layered question now first of all um, which categories tend to do well it would be an intersection set between um, categories that are easily manufactured locally or categories where you have an advantage in terms of uh, manufacturing now countries like indonesia have a tremendous amount of uh, artistic uh, uh, talent right so they can easily build uh, batik print uh, products and all that sort of stuff Handicrafts and all, so they they specialize in those. India tends to specialize in um, stuff like uh, gems and jewelry. It's the biggest category out of India. Um, ethnic wear, it's another huge category out of India. Handloom, handicrafts. So the first set is a is a set of products where you can either manufacture easily or you have. Uh, a massive amount of uh, local talent available or you have an undue advantage. The other set is the set of products that are globally in demand or the categories that are globally in demand. So the intersection set between these two things is where you want to be because that is what is easily. Oh yeah, there's a third set. The set of products which you can sell, which don't have too much of a regulatory hassle or legalities associated with it. So the intersection set between these three things is where you want to be. So categories like uh, clothing uh, and electronics uh, globally are. So the largest category globally is in terms of volume is clothing, in terms of uh, revenues is electronics and of course they then break down into so many subcategories. So the first layer of answer is yes you would want to be in an intersection where you have the advantage product is in demand and it does not have too much regulations the second layer to this answer is when you have this particular uh, product line you then need to customize it in terms of branding positioning product uh, features etc for each market right so uh, let's say you're uh, selling clothes. let's say you're selling shirts Now, is the same shirt uh, going to be branded and uh, positioned the same way in US and India? No, they're not going to be. Uh, Is this pricing going to be the same for US and Indonesia? No, it's not going to be. So, you need to position this properly, right? So, I think the answer to your question is yes, there are categories like um, India tends to specialize in ethnic wear, handloom, handicrafts, etc. US, on the other hand, tends to specialize in health and personal care, um, you know, household appliances. So it depends on where you are from, and depends on which categories can be sold easily. Obviously, if you're selling, uh, if you if you if you're very good at making uh, ornate Kashmiri furniture, it can't be sold internationally because the you know the shipping cost would be a killer. So that would be the answer to your question. Does that answer your question, Vatsal?
0: Vatsal seems to have some kind of issues. is dropped off while you were speaking so. in between. I think he'll just join back in uh, till the time he joins back. Yes, can you hear me?
2: I'm not sure if I'm connected. Sorry,
0: sorry, sorry, sorry. I was speaking on mute. So I was just saying that Kisle, uh, sorry, not Kisle, WhatsApp seems to have dropped off while he was speaking. He'll probably be back. And he also had a follow-up question probably he'll ask you. There's some some network issues he's facing. In the meantime, um, in the meantime, Akash, you uh, can you can go next. Akash, you there, right? Yeah, Akash. You can just unmute yeah. and ask your question. Yeah. Hi,
1: Akash. Hi. Uh, yeah, it's a basic level question. Then do I want it from. Uh, so, basically, if uh, I'm starting with one drop shipping, uh, so in future, if I want to scale that store, uh, do I need to source the product at my place? Like currently, I am directly shipping from the uh the supply, I'm not torting at my place. I'm just a middleman here. But when I need to scale and build a brand, do uh, I need to like
0: have a I can't really hear you. Akash your place. voice your voice is just drowning.
1: One second. Yeah, oh, I'm audible much,
0: better. Now? yeah much better. Much better.
1: Yeah. Uh like currently I am started with one dropshipping store. So currently I am just a middleman here. I'm and getting orders and shipping through the supplier. But in future when I need to build a brand for, for the same store so I need to source the product or I just can or like whatever like branding strategy would be I would create a good relationship with the supplier. Would that work or else I need to only...
2: Akash, you're dropping in and out but I think so, I got your question. So let me answer that. So yes. um, look, I think um, the answer is, if you, if you want a very short answer, the answer is no. Uh, but that's not a very good answer because there are nuances to that. Dropshipping means different things when you think about it from a supply chain point of view and different things when you think of, think of it from an e-commerce point of view. In e-commerce, dropshipping is what Misho does in India. Okay? So, you, would, you are not the actual manufacturer. There's a, let's say there are a uh, hundred manufacturers who are manufacturing that product. Let's say there are a thousand people who then create accounts on Amazon and link their accounts to those manufacturers. And they select a certain segment of their products and upload it. Now, when you get an order, that order goes to the uh, manufacturer straight. They do the, sh- they do the fulfillment. So they will ship it straight to the end customer. Amazon will pay you and a part of that payment will be automatically debited and sent to the manufacturer. Right? This is what drop shipping means in terms of costs. In terms of shipping, drop shipping means something different. In terms of shipping, drop shipping means sending your product to the end customer directly. Okay? So um, there's another way of doing it, which is called cross-docking. Cross docking, you actually have local fulfillment, so you would basically send your item to the marketplace and the marketplace would do the fulfillment for you. Something like FBA, Amazon has fulfillment by Amazon, that would be a cross docking example. Okay, now um, to begin with, I always advise brands to start with dropshipping, it allows you to start off without spending a lot of money, it allows you to establish your supply chain and you know, get things going but as you scale, the cost of your supply chain becomes about 30% of the price of the product minimum if you do drop shipping, okay? So that is not sustainable in the long run. Also uh, why? Because you are sending every item one at a time. So your shipping costs are not optimized. You are clearing customs every time. So there might be products stuck in customs. losing certain items so your return rates as in your items that are returned by the end customer will not come back to you because you're selling to another country remember who's going to send the item back to you so you're building in uh, the cost of returns the building in the cost of customs inefficiencies you're building in the cost of additional shipping costs because every time you're shipping individually so the cost of your supply chain actually becomes 30 percent plus i've seen brands where it is 40-45% 40-45% of their product price is just shipping and supply chain. So you're bleeding money there, okay? But if you are able to do local fulfillment, is in essence that you have a local warehouse or a local distributor, you've sent your items there and they are doing the fulfillment for you, that becomes scalable because then all you're doing is you're taking a pallet or a half a consignment or a full consignment and you're sending it over to that uh, particular uh, warehouse and then whenever you get an order, you're fulfilling from that warehouse there. This is more advanced and it is meant for brands that already know which markets they want to sell in and which products are getting the highest traction. So if you say, for example, have a catalog of 100 SKUs and you know that 20 of them will get high demand, then those items should be locally fulfilled in the countries where you're getting demand. For the rest of it, you should be doing dropship. So that is why I said the short answer is no, but the long answer is it depends you should be doing drop shipping for items that are not uh, high value or items that are not uh, you know high in demand uh, but if you once you've identified where you're going to sell, how much you're going to sell, you should be doing local fulfillment. I hope that answers your question hmm.
1: yeah got, got it. Got it. that's
0: a Thank very you. that's a very comprehensive answer yeah Shayak. thanks a lot. thanks a lot for that. Okay. <coughs> In the meantime, Vatsal is back. Vatsal, you had dropped off in the middle of a question. Uh, sorry, <laughs> middle of an answer. I'm, I'm not sure whether you have listened to it. You'll probably have to go back to the podcast, with, which, which once we release, you can probably go through the answer which Shaikh came And You also had a follow-up question. If you want to go through it, we can do it right now.
1: Vatsal? Yeah, I'm yeah. so sorry for that. Uh, I'm having some connectivity issues over here. Uh, yeah, but and I'll probably go to the po- podcast and uh, listen to the answer again. So the follow-up was that the, uh, the Indian D two C D two C scene is evolving very, very rapidly uh, over the past two, three years or so, right? And the and there is a lot of focus on that as well. And uh, having spoken to a few brands personally myself, a lot of them are uh, sort of looking at expanding internationally. So uh, just wanted to understand, Shaq, what is your view on that, and how do you see? the whole uh, D2C evolving uh, more specifically internationally and how do you see the whole you know uh, process going about?
2: So first of all um, I don't think the D2C brands in India are evolving fast enough if you ask me. I mean I, I think obviously from a domestic perspective the D2C thing uh, has is kind of taken off it's a lot better than what it used to be five years back with the likes of Mama Earth and with the likes of Sugar Cosmetics and with the likes of Boat and you know there are plenty of Indian brands that are doing well domestically now um, is the space really really blowing up I think you could basically see about a hundred brands at best right that are doing really well in D2C that a lot? No, not really. It needs to grow a lot more. Like in China, uh, just taking the example of the world leader in this space. Every second business that you go go and speak to is already selling internationally. Back, I'll, I'll tell you a small story. Okay. Back in 2015, I was setting up my China office and I met this Chinese merchant. I was meeting some of the key merchants and I met this guy. And, um, you know, he, he barely spoke English. So we had a translator. And this gentleman was selling, um, forget the category, that doesn't matter. The point is, he was literally flying his own plane to Kenya once a week to put products into Africa. Okay? Once a week, he was flying his own plane. And he wasn't even a huge merchant, he was just a mid-sized merchant. Now, take that into perspective and tell me if there's an Indian D2C brand that has reached that stage. No, right. Um, so, and China has thousands of those brands. Right? Thousands. The total size of cross-border e-commerce from China is about $139 billion. The total size of Indian e-commerce is $35 billion. It's about $105 billion smaller than the Chinese cross-border market. Actual size of Chinese e-commerce market is $770 billion. So India and China have a you know massive, massive size difference. Same thing goes for US. US is about $550 billion. Now, I think this is evolving. And plenty of Indian D2C brands are trying to go global, which is a great thing. And um, with time, there will be a certain amount of knowledge that will build up around it. Because you you know this this is a community this this ecosystem ex- evolves with time. How does it evolve? Number one, people learn, processes are built, systems come into play, ecosystem comes into play, and lastly the government wakes up and says, "Oh God, I need to do something about this." Okay. So this is more or less how this evolves. Now in China, for example, government has created 50, zero, 50, 50 cross-border e-commerce zones, okay? When I was doing it in 2015, they had 13. 13 cross-border e-commerce zones, now there are 50 cross-border e-commerce zones. In those cross-border, India has SEZs, Special Economic Zones, they have cross-border e-commerce zones because they're pushing Chinese products to the world market. Now, that is a strategy that the government has evolved where they're powering brands or merchants to sell globally through those cross-border e-commerce zones in those zones there's a whole ecosystem of service providers there's a whole ecosystem of customs agents duty dro- single window clearance Indian government just to give you an in perspective and I'm not criticizing please understand um, since 1982 we are trying to implement EDI it's still not done and these guys have moved on to full single window clearance so I think the scene is not blowing up at all It's evolving, it's getting to a point where it will reach maturity maybe in another four to five years. And then we will see the evolution really starting to pick up speed. But as of today, Indian brands selling internationally, there could be a few odd exceptions here and there, but I don't see much in the next, I would say two years.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yep, yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. But uh, one more thing, China does have a lot of cross-border e-commerce, that's true. But uh, the imports are also very high in terms of e-commerce, right? A lot of Chinese people order, especially BPC, beauty and personal care, is being ordered uh, internationally and things like that. So it, is it also because of the government relaxations or the policy over there? Or is it just a pure consumer behavior uh, which is sort of happening over there?
2: No, it's pure consumer behavior. It has nothing to do with the government. The government is uh, paying lip service to opening up to international markets. But in essence, China is one of the most difficult markets to go and sell in. The government regulations are ridiculous. I have taken hundreds of international brands to sell in China. I know it is is a murder to try and sell in China. No, so it's not the government doing anything about it. China as a market is third generation uh, when it comes to international buying. So the first generation was being discretionary. They were buying only brands in a certain way just to show off. The second generation became uh, utilitarian. So they started buying things deciding whether, uh, you know, certain categories were being more easily bought internationally. So they at that time, Australian, New Zealand uh, based uh, brands used to sell very easily in China because they used to sell those, uh, you know, uh, child care products, mother products and all that sort of stuff. Um, and now they are in a third generation where Uh, they are basically local and international brands are competing more or less equally because the western brands have made a massive massive effort to enter china so even now the playing field is very heavily tilted in favor of the chinese brands but the international brands through a whole ecosystem of international people who've married chinese people now have now speak chinese uh, as in speak mandarin have presence in the uh, in, in the local governing bodies there they are enabling the other international brands to come in, and that is what is making the uh, making it possible for international brands to sell in china, although the regulations are still very ridiculous so this does not have anything to do with the
0: uh, government regulations mm. Interesting. You got it. You got it. thank you. But don't you think, Shayek, that because of Alibaba, a lot of, th- lot of the cross-border things have matured in in China? Uh,
2: Alibaba it... was a function of the time and place where they were in. Hmm. Alibaba did not create uh, it. China was um, under... Uh, and again, sorry for taking a side here. Uh, or, uh, I, I mean, taking a detour into the conversation. But under Deng Xiaoping, basically China... Um, China's uh, policies changed from uh, very socialist policies to very, uh, to, to fairly capitalist policies where uh, they were uh, trying to create an ecosystem because before Deng Xiaopeng, anybody selling products or anybody manufacturing or anybody doing a business was being questioned by the government as mm. to why you running a business, why you trying to make money. But when Deng Xiaoping came in, he basically said it's good that people are entrepreneurs. They're making money for the community. And ch- there are certain areas in China which are um, like, you know, we have communities in Gujarat, Rajasthan. Right. Similarly, right. there are certain no. communities in China which came from the Hangzhou province where they used to be salespeople or manufacturing people for centuries because they did not have right. good agriculture there. So they were always gypsy people who used to sell manufacture stuff. Under Deng Jokong that was heavily built up. And so you you saw that pattern emerging from 1970s where um, you know there was a time in EU, YIWU EU where they were they they basically there was this ditch. They they dug this huge ditch and they cemented the ditch over and on the ditch you would not imagine seven lakh merchants were sitting. Seven lakh merchants used to sit there and sell their products. was 1970s, so they had created a certain ecosystem where entire villages were just producing socks. Entire villages were just producing <laughs> glass. <gloves. laughs> Gone to those areas and please. seen them for <laughs> The rate at which they produce electronics is here. If you have to buy electronics, you go to a store, and essentially, even in wholesale, you you have large scale uh, stores. That's it. In China, there are 40-story buildings, five of them in a row in Shenzhen, five 40-story buildings in a row where every room is just selling electronics and not as a store. They literally bring electronics in Gani bags, mm. dump it on the ground and you pick up whatever you want to pick up. Wow. You have, I mean, it is unbelievable the scale. And so Alibaba was just at the right place at the right time. It was a function of the time and space.
0: Interesting interesting uh, i think you know china is a completely different beast altogether you know the way these people have done things and uh, it's you know we'll probably have a completely a separate discussion around around the chinese market in itself probably and that itself will take probably I think one more session
2: detour, sorry about that because the question came up as a, the indian d2c thing is growing up i wanted to give a real perspective about what growing up really means Mm. And I think, um, you know, I've seen US, all brands are D2C brands there now, almost mm. all sec- all brands, legacy brands are all converting into D2C. I've seen Europe, where uh, brands are struggling to become D2C. I've seen Southeast Asia, where you can hardly find D2C brands. And I've seen India, where certain number of D2C brands exist, remaining are not. They're still happy doing it in the distribution model. So, mm. I think India is better than Southeast Asia. Almost close to Europe, but definitely miles behind US, China, and Hmm. certain other regions.
0: There's a lot of ground to cover the way I look at it. Yes. One step at a time. Um, Abhishek, you can go next. And after this, I think we have one more, which can be the last one, which is Kisle. Uh, Abhishek, why don't you go next?
3: I thank you so much for giving the opportunity and also I've been loving giving you talk. Uh, absolutely beautiful. So, this is a small repo from what a topic you at hand. This is more of a question that thought of when you were talking at the beginning about your story. And what I found really interesting about you is
2: that you're capable you to actually spot ideas in the B2B segment uh, because normally customer facing problems are more easy to spot, is what I believe.
1: And also, you uh, also tend to break down things in particular pointers and uh, make it very simple. So, as from as a builder
2: yourself, what would you suggest uh, people who are just entering the entrepreneurship space, how to spot ideas in the B2B segment or what are the things that have
1: worked for you? Like an example that you gave about you were talking with your friend in Goa and then you started your journey over there. So, if you could uh, shed some light on that.
2: So, what I'll tell you now, Abhishek, is something that, um, you know, comes naturally to me. And I think um, instead of speaking about it from that perspective, uh, there is a way to break it down into and making it into a formula. Now, uh, there's a brilliant video uh, on YouTube by Elon Musk. It talks about first principles thinking, right? Now, he's a big fan of first principles thinking. I'm a huge fan of first principles thinking. First principle thinking basically says that when you have a particular problem you look at the factor that is creating that entire change and if you are able to get to the core of that everything else emanates or everything else evolves from that core problem. Um, Now take um, banking as an industry or take Bollywood as an industry. It's a brilliant use case actually. It's happening in front of our eyes that we're not realizing. Bollywood was essentially an industry where you had... Um, basically had a few fat cats sitting on top who controlled everything. Okay. And then you had a mad rush. You had a huge number of people at the bottom who would give, who would work for free. And then a certain bunch of people who had made it to a certain extent up that pyramid who were being paid an exorbitant amount for a very little amount of work. For one day's work, they would earn 50,000 rupees, 1 lakh rupees okay, for one day's work. What is it? essentially were they doing that thousands, if not millions of people across India couldn't do? Nothing. It was just that they had reached a certain point and knew the right people. And then right at the top, there were a few fat cats who were controlling the whole industry and deciding who got access and who didn't get access. What happened, what, what, does a, what does a narrow vertical structure tell you? That narrow vertical structure tells you that that is an industry that can be chopped off at the root because there's something inherently wrong with that and all you need to do is enable access. If you enable access that industry gets killed and that's Netflix. That is the way content is shaping today in this country. So today how content is shaping up is, content is shaping up in five different layers. You have social content, content uh, that goes in the form of really small micro content creators, influencers who are creating brilliant content and these platforms are paying them good money for it. So you don't need to be in Bollywood to earn that money anymore, which by the way means that the Bollywood guy gets lesser pay every time you take away one rupee. Okay? Second, you, you're creating content at agency levels now. You're cre- third, you're creating content at company levels. earlier companies used to hand it over to somebody else to create. Fourth, you're creating content at the Netflix level. and lastly Bollywood still exists. But to be honest, when was the last huge movie that came out of Bollywood? When was the last huge massive mega movie that used to you know rock the market came out? I don't remember. And there's a reason everybody today will go and watch netflix if i tell you remember the last big bollywood movie you will struggle but if i tell you which was the last big netflix series you will remember that is essentially first principle thinking you take a look at an industry you figure out what where the break in that industry is happening okay um, you figure out that um, this industry is very vertical and you can create You can disrupt it by creating a horizontal layer or you figure out that this industry is very horizontal and you can disrupt it by creating a narrow vertical that happened in e-commerce. The likes of Flipkart, Amazon were very horizontal and then BigBasket came and said, I'm going to build a vertical. I'm going to build a vertical and I'm going to build a big business out of it. They did the first big e-commerce business that became profitable in India is BigBasket. Right? Nika created another vertical play and now look at how much they're valued at because it was a horizontal market and nobody was thinking vertical Nike realized vertical made sense they went there and they made that happen so whenever you're in an industry you're basically going to look at how convoluted that industry is you're going to look at how much it depends on whether you know that industry or not and how can you open up access if you can open up access by creating a vertical do that if you can open up access by creating a horizontal do that but that is how you break that industry Hmm.
0: Does that answer your question, Abhishek? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for the disclaiming button. That was really helpful.
2: Wow. Shayak, do you also teach by any chance,
0: if I may just ask this? <laughs> no, I don't teach them. <laughs> uh, yaar, because I think the analogies which you gave are so apt and so to the point. This will really, you will be an amazing teacher if at any day you start teaching.
2: Thank you.
0: Cool, we'll just move on to the last question. Kisla Please go ahead, sir.
3: Thank you. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah,
0: I yeah, can hear you.
3: Yeah. By the way, thanks for taking my pronouncing my name correctly. Very few people do that in the first school. So uh, about me, I, my background is uh, I'm into data science and in a supply chain company. But I also own a daily startup so the question is uh, i want to start selling sell my ghee product globally uh how can i do that the yes. main objective of this would be first to increase the volume second uh to understand different markets and the most, the most uh important one to start making my network across the globe so that in future if other products come i can
0: push through that network so basically through retail so basically he, you want to talk about products which have a shorter lef, le, shelf life is what I understand. No, uh,
3: like. I, I just wanted to say that ghee has, does not have a short shelf life. It can stay, other dairy products cannot. So that is why I chose ghee which can stay for a longer time, that is 6 months. Mm. I just want to know how can I start selling it across the globe. Got it, got
2: it. It uh, depends on how much uh, bandwidth you really have. Because ghee is a product that will be in demand only with the Indian community, okay, more or so, less. You could probably rebrand it and find, uh, uh, you know, nascent demand or untapped demand uh, with other communities also. But most likely, you're targeting the Indian community, which means you're targeting Middle East, uh, you're targeting US, and you could, and you're targeting UK. It's not like Indians don't exist in other regions, they do, Uh, but these would be the regions you would start off with most likely. Now, do you have the bandwidth to create your own supply chain? Do you have the bandwidth to really go and create a D2C brand in these countries?
3: No, so uh, answering to that, I want to have, be a part of a network that does this. I don't want to create my own network. I want to be a part of a network that can
2: facilitate me
3: through for this.
2: Yeah so, no, go ahead. yeah, so I was basically trying to answer that only, but you need to understand that um, you will need, you will need a distributor for this if you're not going to do it yourself because Mm -hmm. um, ghee is not an easy product to sell it requires a lot of handling it requires a lot of uh, supply chain issues it it cannot be drop shipped one at a time normally it can be but then the packaging will have to be extraordinary and you'll have to also figure out with the shipping partners whether they will ship ghee for you or not because they would need to ship it under cold chain conditions and all that so um, my answer would be that this is a tough product to sell internationally okay to begin with if now what you need to decide is whether you want to sell this as a DTC brand or whether you want to sell this through distributors my advice would be if you don't have the bandwidth sell it at, through distributors find out distributors in different regions let them figure out the supply chain let them figure out the end last mile let them figure out the how to reach the end customer through whether they want to do it through uh, local retailers or whether they want to do a DTC brand there itself let them figure it out if you don't have the bandwidth now if you have the bandwidth then this is a separate conversation if you have the bandwidth in the sense you have the funding you're doing this solely as your business it's a very different proposition then. then you could go about building a brand around it you could go about building a supply chain around it you could go about building a value proposition around it but that takes a lot of doing huh? so um, with your current job i'm not at all sure that you should be directly selling this product
3: uh, so my current job was to tell K okay, I I have understanding about the supply chain. Uh, oh, and okay. and uh, the second thing is why we don't want to. I mean, we want to collaborate with distributors, but the problem we fa- uh, faced was these distributor uh, distributors wanted to rebrand the product to uh, to their own brands and then sell it to different locations and uh, the visibility or the clarity about how your product will be placed in different uh, like places the placement and the value proposition was not clear through some distributors that we faced currently we like my my experiences might be bra- bad but still uh, that was the
2: experience so no, i agree i completely agree that is why i said you need to take a call whether you are going to do this as a dtc brand or whether you are going to do this through distributors now, if you do this to distributors, you can create your own process and say that you as a distributor will have to follow these processes. You cannot rebrand it, you will have to sell it under our brand name. But honestly, to pull something off like that, you need to be a brand yourself to begin with. Mm-hmm. If you are uh, Mother dairy, okay, mm-hmm. uh, you already have an existing brand, you already have an existing you know, number of users who recognize your brand. And you already have, even internationally, people will recognize Mother Dairy, at least your target audience will recognize Mother Dairy, right? And they'll buy it for the fact that it is Mother Dairy, so there's brand loyalty built into it. But um, in your case, and I don't know enough to be saying this, but I'm assuming that you don't have an existing brand or a brand that is that well known that it carries a certain amount of brand loyalty with it. So trying to create a DTC brand internationally is effort intensive. It requires a certain amount of money, a certain amount of expertise, a certain amount of commitment. Um, If you are 100% sure that's what you want to do, then go ahead by all means. uh, Go meet, uh, there are these uh, retail expos where you can go and meet, hundreds of distributors will come and meet you. There's in fact Dubai uh, 2020 which was going on, I think it's been extended this year also. Um, You can go meet uh, a lot of people in the Middle East there right and once you meet them you have your set process you tell them that guys you have to follow my process and you have to follow my guidelines for selling this product you cannot sell it other other than this process and you have to strictly adhere to this see if there's some acceptance to that if there's an acceptance and even if one distributor picks it up good but again majority of the distributors will want to pick it up under their conditions and if you say that no i'm not going to take it back if you don't sell it or, you know, you have a six month period, you can't return anything. Those are issues which you will face when you're trying to build this brand. Why am I saying all this is because ghee is not a product that you would ideally drop ship.
3: True. So uh, I mean, my plan was not just drop ship it, but also be a, a, in a part of a network that can go through other channels also but uh, be it retail or be it a distributor who is uh, distributing locally to a particular region so that that i'm fine with secondly uh, i am I'm, I'm not sure uh, not contradicting to your point but uh, if a particular brand is not even aware uh, but the product is aware for example indian community likes geese but maybe they don't know the product so if you could explain them what is different than mother uh, dairy, then maybe they might buy. It. For example, even if you're not a uh, uh, Mdh masala, but it is Indian
2: masala, people might buy it outside.
3: So, I mean, that I is said what they buy. It.
2: I I didn't mean that they won't buy it. Uh-huh. I meant that if if you want your brand name only to be the brand name, mm-hmm. does your brand name carry enough brand loyalty for you to be pushing that? That is a decision you need to take. If you okay. think that yes. My brand name carries enough brand loyalty and I'm only going to allow that to happen. And by all means, that is what you should be doing. But if you mm-hmm. feel that, look, I don't have enough brand loyalty at this point and the brand name itself will not necessarily sell the product, the product could sell under a different brand name also. And let yeah. the distributors have their brand name. You're getting, it, your, it. you're getting your you're yeah. values any which way. I
3: got a point, I got a point. Thank you so much
0: for that. Thanks, so no, much. Thanks a lot, Kislev, for that question. Uh, I think, uh, are there any other questions? Does anybody else have any questions? Because I think we can, uh, you know, you can probably uh, end the QA here. Because I think we have had a decent amount of. Uh, because I think, uh, Shayak, uh, how's, how's the experience been till now? The, the questions and, and the overall interaction yeah
2: No, I think very good questions, very interesting questions. And I can clearly see that there's a community of entrepreneurs here who are very well engaged. Uh, Kudos for building that, by the way.
0: Thank you. Thanks a lot, Shaykh. I think, you know, the reason why we do this is this only. There are a lot of people who are building in niches. They don't have people to answer their questions and give clarity. And thanks a lot for answering these uh, bits here. Um, so with that i think we can uh you know move towards the end of the the water cooler conversation here um shayak uh, i have one small thing which you know we uh we we usually do towards the ends is one is of course you know trying to understand what exactly and how exactly and second is you know in unipo unimart i mean is there any way the entrepreneurs here can somehow get Uh, some you know uh, any kind of help or whether unipart uh, can collaborate in some form with the founders here in any form absolutely yeah so um, we offer a
2: platform that will help brands to sell internationally um, with the full shipping supply chain warehousing uh, you know we're not we don't own warehouses yeah we're not a logistics company What we are is, you know, when you look at a Shopify, you see a platform that enables you to create a web store easily. When you look at uh, Unimat, you are essentially, uh, you have a platform that is integrated with a large number of e-commerce platforms, shipping partners, web stores, etc. globally. Um, It also comes with its own artificial intelligence applications that will tell you how much sales you'll get and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of uh, what we do, and I'll be very happy if anybody wants to get in touch with me. I saw about three or four people who have already connected with me on LinkedIn. Um, So I'll be very happy to support anybody who wants to come in. Um, I'm all pro startups. I help startups, uh, you know, all day. Uh, It's kind of what I love doing. Like I said, I am always driven by the impact that startups are creating. I had this, um, you know, I want to close this with this interesting, uh, you know, d- debate. Um, I was having this discussion with a good friend of mine. Um, and he said this very interesting comment. I cannot take ownership of this comment. It belongs to him. But I found it to be a super, super interesting comment. He said that, look, startups are, while we, are, while we think startups as being the epitome of capitalism, because they're basically business building in a very, very rapid uh, prototyping manner. But startups are also the true epitome of uh, communism, because the core element of communism when it was originally thought of was that there would be equitable distribution of wealth and there would be equitable uh, you know, building of community together. And if you look at it, in startups through ESOPs, uh, there's a massive distribution of wealth uh, in startups uh, through um, building of technology. There's a massive distribution of uh, opportunity in in society. In uh, startups, uh, you know, you have angels who are investing, institutional funds who are investing, so access to capital becomes easier. That capital is then used to accelerate returns, right? I think. Um, was a very interesting comment and i think uh, i really like that comment because uh, while it is not community owned as it would have been in under communism it's not community owned but it is in itself startups are brilliant they help create communities they help create value unlike traditional businesses where value gets stuck to one family or one person yeah and uh, i i really love startups because of that so if there's anybody who needs any help i'm very happy to support
0: thank you thanks a lot Shayek, for that we also have an upcoming uh, soon-to-be-released uh, bootcamp just for startups to go to the launch phase. Hopefully, there are a few who are which are in the supply chain bit and we can probably pull, pull you in for your thoughts and helping them out. Thanks a lot for doing this, Shayak. Uh, mm-hmm. Guys, for all of you guys who are still tuned in, um, I'm just sharing a link of a tweet that we did about people joining, you know, about, about the uh, product Uh, about this event uh, on twitter Uh, just you know you can reshare with your experiences tag uh, shayak uh, he's also tagged in this in this tweet and share your experiences on twitter as well that'll really help Uh, and also right up there there's the testimonial section where you can drop in your comments about what you liked and how you like this today's session Uh, with that i think we can just call it a day uh thanks a lot Shayak for coming in you uh, you know by de facto all our guests become a part of our chief builders program uh, chief chief builders uh, initiative. uh there's a small exclusive group of whatsapp community uh, for all the chief builders or the guests that we have had till now and we'll you know we would we would love to also join that community uh, a lot of big you know people right from the founders of uh, shiros to fen and all of these people are already there so hopefully you will, uh, you will like that that community for yourself as well.
2: It will be a pleasure, and I uh, really appreciate you guys giving this opportunity to startups to connect. Thank you, everyone, and have a great uh, have, a, have a great evening.